Most, if not all of us, are aware of what idolatry is. Maybe for you, it's a certain thing. Maybe it's an aspect of your career, your life. It begins to take hold of you mentally, emotionally, maybe even physically. For sure, spiritually, when it's put on a pedestal and begins to have ownership and control that's far beyond what God ever intended. It becomes moving from the thing that was a gift and becomes the God in and of itself. Idolatry. That may be how you've always understood it, but what about relationship idolatry? And the way that we think of that and the way Dr. Paul is going to break it down for us today, we call that codependence. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? That's our discussion today. Welcome to the Westcliff Climb. I'm Pastor Joshua Duffy, and I'm here, of course, with the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Paul Looney. How are you, brother? I'm always better when you refer to me as the man, the myth, and the legend. I hey, and, and that's not a codependent type of introduction. <laughs> let's let's pump the brakes there, huh? <laughs> so, um, so of course, a lot of people, you know really only think of idolatry when it comes to like Old Testament falling down and worshiping other gods or yeah. people who have statues that represent God. But the 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 way I think of it, and I think the way you were inclining our, our listeners to think about it is it could be anything that is a go-to for your sense of worth, value, security, comfort. Um, God wants to be at the center. And anything that we make more central than him is vying for his role as God and could be functioning as an idol for us. But I, I, I do see in my own life that one of the ways I'm most prone to pushing God off the throne is in trying to make other people happy, trying to be a people pleaser. And Jesus, in fact, said, you cannot please God and man, that the two urges are in opposition to one another. And I, I have to confess, I have both of those urges very strong within me. So let's go back to some of this discussion that we've had previously and how our development is impacted by the type of type of childhood that we had, uh, whether, you know, whether we had helicopter parents, whether they were more of kind of abandoned us at a certain point, or whether we had a very healthy uh, relationship. I'm curious, based on kind of going back to some previous episodes, podcasts here, is there one type of of personality or maybe the way that you were grown up and developed with early on onset with your mother and your parents, let's say, that lends itself more to becoming more of a codependent type person? It's a great question. Um, and I don't have a full answer, but it is likely that people who had a parent that needed to be um, pleased, that was that was exceptionally needy or controlling or angry. That um, the more you feel like your sense of well-being depends on making someone else calm and happy, mm. the likely you are to focus on that later in life. That that you have this this sense that unless the person I care about is happy, I'm not okay which really can literally be true for a child. If mom is in a rage and I can't calm her down or dad is an alcoholic and I can't you know, wake him up, my world could be feel very disjointed and, and unsafe. 
And so I think we carry some of that into adulthood. But any of us are prone to gradually or suddenly letting someone else take the throne and, and making them happy be our be all end all. Um, I think every decent man on the planet who is married wants a happy wife. Not to say that there are not indecent men who do not care about anyone's happiness but their own, but decent men want a happy wife and and that's not a bad thing. However, when we let that need or desire um, be more important to us than than maintaining our own integrity, then we're in trouble. Whenever I let my desire to maintain relationship trump my desire to maintain my own sense of connection with my own soul and with God, then there can be hell to pay. And we see it as early as the Garden of Eden when Adam, who was not deceived, willingly did something that he knew he was not to do. He ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because his wife offered it to him and was probably pretty insistent. Hey, this is great. You should have some, please. And, you know, as he'd done a million times before, he took, he takes a piece of fruit from his wife's hand and says, thank you. Um, but it, it ended very badly. Wow. Okay. So let's back up. Let's work it out all the way now as, as like two people meeting and then they become parents. Then we'll look at it from parenting. And then we'll look at it as a kid growing up. You've already touched on some of it high level, but I'm really curious to nuance this right out of the gate. Okay. So to the people that are in a relationship right now, what would be just a high level checklist of going, I'm in a codependent relationship. Or I am acting in a codependent way. And then my follow-up to that would be, uh, is that then a relationship you just have to get away from? Or is that a relationship that can be reformed to not being that way? It, can we, if we first just look at two people meeting for the people out there that are, that's how it started. That's where they're at. So one way to think about it is that um, people who have a very strong sense of who they are, what they want, what they need, their, you know, life journey can be very attractive to those of us who are more wishy-washy, go with the flow, like not really sure where we want to go to dinner. That person who is very clear about that, what, what they want can seem like, wow, they got it together. They know what they want. And I'm, I'm happy to go with them to dinner. And so that, that attraction based on someone who loves to lead hooking up with someone who loves to follow. And some of this is birth order related, you know, mm. firstborn usually likes to take the lead. So um, it can, it can work well in the beginning, but what happens over time is that, that God allows the relationship to skew or shift enough that it becomes more and more obvious that there's an imbalance. And at mm. that point, things can break down. And if we're thoughtful and seek God, we can reconfigure the relationship in a healthier more give and take dynamic. But what often happens is the only way that we can reconfigure something is to take it apart. And when things fall apart, some of us are so anxious to put it back together that we're not willing to let go and let God. We want to make it better. And so that's when we apologize, even when the other person was at fault, or we, you know, lie for the, the person who's, you know, calling in sick, even though they're not really sick, they're just hungover. Or what, you know, we, we, 
began to make little compromises. We don't tell the truth. We don't authentically engage. Our partner says they want to have sex and we, we act like we're willing when we're really not. And over and over time, the, the person who is codependent sacrifices more to the relationship than is rightful. And it, it, it offends God because he wants to be on that throne. He doesn't want us to be subject to what we're calling relational idolatry. So can, can in a codependent situation, you can have both people have no clue that this dynamic is going on until it finally blows up. And I would imagine then does the codependent person, do they reach a place of, of actually being resentful that this is their existence at some point? Very often they do. Um, very often they're aware that they're giving more than they're getting or they're sacrificing things that they should not be sacrificing. They're making sure the other person is okay, even at their expense. And the, the, the spirit of God within us is aware that something is wrong. But rather than taking responsibility for my part, the codependent is likely to start focusing on their partner who's, who tends to be a bulldozer or alcoholic or workaholic and um, see themselves as victim to that person's considerable strength or uh, addictive nature, whatever it is that that makes that codependent person feel like, well, I have no choice. Um, I have to do this to be a good wife or be a good husband, or I can't stand the thought of being alone, so I'm not going to rock the boat. Uh, my, my saying to people is, if you can't risk it, you can't write it. In other words, if you're not willing to risk the relationship falling apart, you're never going to be able to say the hard things that need to be said in order to give the relationship a chance to reach equal equilibrium or to right itself, to get more on an even kill. Um, because at that point, at that point, it becomes hard then for the person in the power position of power to probably hear, "Hey, this is all out of whack." Is that? Yeah, because they're in general. If 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 the the, the term originally was coined for people who were in a relationship with an addicted person, they're dependent on alcohol or cocaine or you know pornography, whatever they they've got an addiction. The codependent is dependent on the relationship, and so they facilitate the other person staying stuck in their addiction because they can't risk rocking the boat. They they can't risk stepping aside from the relationship. And that's why interventions sometimes are effective because in an intervention, the family members tell the addicted person, we're stepping back. If it means if you, if you want to continue the relationship, something's got to change. Right. No longer willing to keep, you know, funding your, you know, binges or keep putting up with your stealing, whatever. But, um, but in most cases, the, the codependency is not that, not as obvious. And it requires us really pressing in with God and asking him to give us the strength to tell the truth, even when it means suffering. And so I would assume, but please correct me if I'm wrong, the sooner this conversation or moment of kind of airing out this, this reality of what's broken in a relationship, the better. I would assume that the longer this goes on, the uglier the adjustment is going to be. Yeah, no doubt. Um, things things tend to go from bad to worse. And if you can address these problems in the, let's say, the courtship phase before you even tie the knot of marriage, 
there's much more energy available to try to, you know, yeah. and get the balance that needs to be there. Uh, once you're, you're invested in a, in a marriage financially, you've got kids, whatever, then it becomes increasingly hard to pull the plug and to say, hey, this is not working. Wow. Okay. So Mr. and Mrs. Codependent, the codependents, what a family. So they have a child now. Let's move on. How how do we raise and or create codependent children? What's the dynamic that's happening in which now you have a, two parents, they have children. What are the behaviors or what are the patterns that begin to create? And I know there's some of that you said birth order and whatnot that's on the kid's side. But what is there? How can a parent contribute further to that dynamic with a child? What does that look like in their development? Sure. Um, I think one of the things that you see a lot in in religious or Christian families is the message that um, you have to be good, you have to be nice, um, you always got to be easy to get along with, and and um, particularly if you're the the child of a pastor, for instance. Um, you, you're always on showcase that you, you have to make people think you're a good person. And yeah. so again, it, it, it allows the person to grow up really being unclear about what they really want. If you think about the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, um, he desperately wants his father to affirm him to the point that he's working every day in the fields, even though the, he's the, the, the son who has been given his inheritance. In the beginning of the parable, the father divides his stuff between the two boys. He doesn't have to be going to work in the fields, but he's so driven to get his dad's approval that when the dad throws a party for the younger son when he comes back, the older brother's like, you never even gave me a kid to to have with my friends. And the dad is like baffled. He's like, wait, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Like you didn't have to wait for me to do that for you. And so the, the codependent person does not realize their power. They don't take responsibility because they're wanting somebody else to take it. As much as they may resent, like the older brother did, resenting his father, a lot of the problem is that he's not willing to risk taking an action because he, if it goes badly, he doesn't want it to be, be responsible for it. And so he's, you know, keeps going to the fields, hoping his dad is going to say, you know, give him an attaboy. And, you know, but my, my belief is that that father was just assuming that that's what the kid wanted to do. And a lot of times people in relationship with someone who is classically codependent assume that they want to do what they're doing because Mm. they know if they're, if they're on the other side of the spectrum, they're more of an externalizer. They're, they're like thinking, well, if I didn't want to go to that restaurant, I'd just say I didn't want to go. Um, if I didn't want to have sex, I sure as hell wouldn't do it. You know, they're like, right. they assume that the other person has the power to say no when they need to say no and yes when they mean it. But those of us who grow up trying to make other people happy sometimes don't even know how to articulate what we want. We're hoping somebody will figure it out for us. Are are there any specific parenting strategies you would point to to go, this is how you can kind of equip your kid to not go down that path? Is there anything you would? Well, a lot of it is is helping your child to tune into their own hearts and helping them to figure out what it is that they 
need or want. Um, a parent who says, here, let me do that for you, is stepping over a line where they they can be willing if the child is like, mommy, will you do this for me to, to take responsibility for getting their needs right. as opposed right. to letting other people be responsible. Um, the, the, the way that, that all of us need to be able to avoid the snare of relational idolatry or codependency is to have God at the center after we know what we want to be willing to surrender to what God wants. But even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus facing the pivotal moment of all human history, the one thing he came on the planet to do, he's still saying, he's still not just saying, okay, whatever you want, God. He's like, no, if there is any way possible, let this cup pass from me. So he's the antithesis of codependent. He's willing to say, this is what I want, and I want it deeply. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The, the healthy person is neither a pushover nor a bulldozer. We are able to be clear about what we want, but to defer to another, to, to let, you know, to, to allow ourselves to surrender our desire for the sake of God's kingdom, for his, you know, his good, whether that's yeah. in parenting or marriage. I love what I just caught that little nuance is that, you know, we're focused on codependence, but then at the tail end of what you just said there, I caught that the other responsibility we have as parents is not to raise little bulldozers either, who they get their way when they want their way. The power dynamic is with them. So back to kind of healthy boundaries, following through as a parent. Yes, your child has a voice. Yes, what your child feels is important to be affirmed and everything else, but we don't I get it. Like you go the other way and now you just have kids who are used to getting their way all the time who are going to seek out the person that they can just run over as well. That's Yeah, yeah they want to make themselves the God. For, and and you, you see people who are labeled as narcissists. And for the most part, they're people who who want the world to bow down to their wishes. And um, they're at the opposite end of that relational idolatry uh, dynamic. Wow. Okay. So you grew up in a codependent home. You grew up in the, the codependence family. You're now an adult. Is there anything before you get into your first serious relationship or you've just started out in your first relationship? Is there any high level checklist that you could go, ooh, I need to be aware that this is me? What, what does that look like? You know, some people actually write a list of things that they want in a, in a partner. Um, some physical characteristics, some qualities of um, thought life or or the way that they navigate humor or um, the way that they uh, believe about the world and about God. And it's, it's important before you get into a situation where you're chemically attracted to someone that you have a clear sense of what's important to you. And this person may be the hottest chick or dude on the planet they may be charismatic and charming um they may be brilliant and well off but if they don't tick the boxes of those things that are important from a, the heart level and from a sense of letting god be god then the relationship is off to a really bad start and the the odds of it 
becoming idolatrous in some way are right. very high because we've already we've already set aside things that should be non-negotiable because well he's so cute um she's so sexy you know whatever right. you know we 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 sometimes will surrender things that should not be surrendered i love what you're saying basically we're made for worship we're going to worship something and if we don't put the the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the very center of that discussion, that relationship, we're going to end up worshiping most likely the other one sure. in that case. Yeah, and even even when we do put God first, if you look at Abraham, who was you know the father of 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 Judaism and Islam and Christianity, um, Abraham's our father in the faith, and even he had a moment when though he trusted God to deliver on his promise to make him the father of nations when his wife was having a bad time of it and desperate to have a child. Um, he listened to her complaint and chose to sl sleep with um, her handmaiden, Hagar. Well, you know how that story ended like immediately after Hagar um, gets pregnant and starts kind of feeling her oats. Sarah is immediately blaming at Abraham mm. for what was, what was done. Right. Like, right. You know, and the way I see the picture, Josh, is that when she came to him and said, Hey, you should sleep with Hagar. He's like, you think like, I, I believe he knew that was not God's way, but because he wanted his wife to be happy, he yielded to her. And in that instant, he was being very codependent and it, had devastating consequences. Wow. Okay. So you just, in that instant, so I want to back up to this, maybe this kind of this final angle. Can people fall into being codependent in moments or are they necessarily codependent and that's what they are? Well, the do they swing? Yeah. The, the codependent word is one that I love and hate because it's so widely used in so many different ways. But, but if you're asking, can we let somebody else influence us more than our connection with our own soul and God in a given moment? Absolutely. I mm. spent some money last week because I was influenced by somebody who was very charismatic and charming. And it was money that I did not need to spend and really didn't have to spend. But um, I was in that moment swept along by a charming person who got me to to sign in the line for something that I probably didn't need. And that's it's it's embarrassing, it's painful. And whenever we realize that we have surrendered um our commitment to God as God, we 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 gotta repent. We got to get back on track and ask him for the strength to keep our wits about us and not not get influenced like Abraham was with Sarah. Fantastic insight. Wow. Wow. This is any closing thoughts you have for uh, for the folks out there? Just let God be God and uh, be clear about what you want from him like Jesus was in the garden and then be willing to surrender and say, not my will, but yours. Keeping God on the throne is what's key. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Would you mind closing us in a word of prayer? All righty. God, you're good. We're not. You're God. We're not. Help us to keep you on the throne. Help us not to be people pleasers, 
Help us not to be those who get our worth, our security, our value from the praise of others, but let us seek only for your approval as we look to you in obedience and trust. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.